it's important for you to step outside of what they're actually telling you and, and look at the total landscape because you may be able to solve the problem in a different way, in a mm. different capacity than what the customer themselves are asking for. Hey there, Powder Cake fans. This is episode 95 of Powder Cake Igniting Startups, the show for entrepreneurs, leaders, and innovators building remarkable tech companies in areas decidedly outside of Silicon Valley. I'm your host, Matt Hunkler, and today we'll be talking all about customer experience, the future of CX, and how it's continuing to evolve. Customer experience is your customer's perception of how your company treats their entire customer base. These perceptions affect their behaviors and build memories and feelings that drive their loyalty. In other words, if they like you and continue to like you, they're going to continue to do business with you and recommend you to others. You being not just how they engage with you, but also the product. And I'm sure we'll talk a lot about that too. Um, today, we're gonna cover a lot of grounds, You know, the difference between some of these ter terminologies, sort of the, the future and the innovation happening in the industry. And I'm really excited to have a guest here in the office today. Uh, to join us, I should say, in studio, but it's our office. Uh, our guest today has diverse leadership experience across product development, services, and business operations. She's had the privilege in all of these roles to innovate and create significant change. Uh, she started her career with interactive intelligence and has advanced her roles where she's now with Genesis and is the VP of product management. Please help me welcome Mimi Wynn. Thanks, Matt. That was a pretty good intro. Hey, it was scripted, so <laughs> I do my Good best. Um, I'm really excited to talk to you because, well, one, uh, I kind of met you for the first time at our last event, or at least got to know you a little better at our last yeah. event. As I was grilling you on stage. You were grilling me on stage with some really good questions. So I'm really happy to turn the tables and now I get to grill you <laughs> with questions. Oh, <laughs> um, before we get started, though, um, I, I would love to, I guess, as we get started, I'd love to learn a little bit more about kind of your backstory and how you came to be doing what you're doing uh, as a VP at Genesis. Um, do you remember your very first exposure to technology and technology products? Yes. Um, oh, gosh. You know, my, my, my father was an electrical engineer with uh, AEP, so he was always geeking out with um, the newest technologies, right? And, you know, I remember like this big gray box that just appeared one day in his office and he'd be playing these games that were on this floppy disk and he wouldn't let me touch the computer but I would I'd stand over his shoulder and I'd watch what he was doing right and then yeah. I'd start to hack at the computer in order to get to these games when I was oh I don't know six seven you were a hacker old. at age six <laughs> I like it that's right command line prompts everybody uh, <laughs> That's but, awesome. Yeah, that's my first memory. Do you remember what your uh, first, one of your first games was? Ugh. Are we talking like DOS? Yeah, oh yeah, DOS games, for sure. No, when but floppy disks were actually floppy? <laughs> yeah, yes, <laughs> nice. exactly. Right. Oregon Trail, Word Munchers. Mm, even before Oregon Trail. Okay, nice. Yeah. Nice, that's cool. So did this kind of like prompt a career in tech? You were like, I know I want to be... Uh, Absolutely not. No. <laughs> um, so how did you find it, or how did it find you, I guess I should say, maybe uh, say? Well, well, I guess because I, my parents did not want me to be a starving musician, mm. and I wanted to be a musician, and then I said, what kind oh, of music? well, uh, classical piano. Oh, wow. Yeah. Cool. So couldn't be a musician, 
Uh, couldn't get into creative writing. One, because I wasn't that great of a writer to begin with. Um, two, it's also another job that doesn't really make you money, at least not in the eyes of your parents. And so, you know, I really wanted to go to college. In fact, I, I wanted to graduate high school early. And in order for me to go to college, I had to go into a degree that my parents approved of. And so since my dad was an engineer and the rest of my family was in computer technology, I said, well, why not? Let's, let's try out this computer thing. So I ended up at Purdue. Go Boilermakers. Nice. What yeah. were you studying at Purdue? Computer science, and okay. then uh, transferred into computer technology. After college, was I was in the restaurant industry hoping to um, go to culinary school and just go into the food industry, which is a very difficult, challenging job, yeah. as you know, right? It's wow. Hard. You went into the food industry. I attempted to. Okay. But... Uh, with a computer science degree? With a computer science degree. But with a passion, <laughs> with a passion for... Well, that's... Passion is important. For food, hospitality, customer service. Absolutely. Customer experience. Well, Purdue has a great yeah. HTM program, hotel and tourism management program, too. They do. They do. Were you dropping in on any of those classes, or you just caught the bug? Real world experience. Awesome. Yeah. What's your favorite dish? Oh, goodness. To create. To create uh, just what I had for, for lunch, roasted duck breast. You know, it's super simple, a nice sear, just like you would cook steak. It's really easy, but extremely flavorful. I didn't realize you were so multi-talented. I assume you can still play piano? I can a little bit. Yeah, yeah that's awesome. Well, cool. Well, maybe uh, at some point we can find a way that you and a piano can be in the same room and we can have our recording equipment so we can, or or maybe we can do a uh, not cook, in, cooking with Mimi Wen. Not in this room. It's so small, but yeah, we'll do a cooking class. That'd that be would fun. be awesome. You, you know, Casey on our team is a huge, uh, like big time cook. Really? Yeah. He's, he's got some pretty legit skills. Okay. So we'll have to connect you afterwards, but right. uh, Casey's legit. Um, I digress. So you briefly went into food with a computer science degree. That's right. What, what did you learn in the food and service industry? Um, multitasking, how to run an effective and efficient business, how to take care of customers. Yeah. Um, what was one of the lessons you learned about how to take care of customers while working in the food industry? The customer is always right, even when they're wrong. <laughs> <laughs> That's quotable. They are, because ultimately your job in a service industry is to create a, a phenomenal customer experience, right? You, you want that customer to not only put food in their bellies, right, but to really enjoy the entire ambiance and atmosphere from the moment that they, they walk in um, to when they talk to the hostess to how they get sat down and greeted and... Um, the temperature of the food that comes out, the aroma, the visual aspects, to when they leave. And in the restaurant industry, you know that customer reviews and customer referrals mm. and repeat customers is just so important for your business. Oh, yeah. Well, and even more and more so now with software and tech companies, too. Exactly. Right? You talk about like Captera or G2, any of these platforms that are every product now that at least has some critical mass has a has a profile. Yes, and especially being in this cloud world where it's just so easy to just pick another vendor, right? Another competitor to drop what you originally had and just move on to what you believe to be the next best. Yeah. Customer experience and customer service is so important. 
So talk to me a little bit about what you learned with the, re with the review side of things. You know, the customer's always right, even when they're wrong is a good start, but were there any kind of like hacks or strategies that you used while you're in the food industry to get more positive reviews or maybe even to uh, give a different outlet than um, Yelp when someone has a complaint? Um, you know, trick number one is to make sure that you're always humble, right? You're humble and you're apologetic because there will be mishaps, always. And this is true for, for, for any industry, is you're always gonna make mistakes with yeah. customers. And the best thing that you can do is just apologize and then give them options to, on how to make it right. Yeah. Right? Um, and then in terms of, in terms of marketing, you know, the, the restaurant that I was, I was managing, you know, we were really small, so we didn't have necessarily a, a large marketing budget, but we always encourage customers to, to leave really good reviews. We were also transparent to them that, you know, our business depends on you getting the word out. Yeah. So we'd always make sure that, you know, we'd leave like a little card and the portfolio or the bill to share the good news. Nice. I like that. Did you ever incentivize reviews? No. You just no. asked, asked for it. If you, if you genuinely liked it. Yeah, if you genuinely liked it, and I, I, I don't know that I really like to incentivize reviews. I think that, yeah. that skews, that skews a review in itself. Like, I, I really want people to gen, leave genuine feedback because they had such an amazing experience. Yeah. Is there anything you do above and beyond? You know, I, I've, I've kind of heard differing opinions on this with, in terms of customer experience, where it's sort of like, every customer should be surprised and delighted. But then I've heard the reverse side of that advice, which is if you're surprising and delighting, that's an inconsistent customer experience. Um, if, unless that's consistently every customer is surprised and delighted by the same you know, engineered experience. Um, that is a really good question. I, I don't think that I subscribe to the belief that if you're delighting every customer, it's, it's an inconsistent experience. I mm -hmm. think you can create delightful, repeatable experiences. Yeah. Um, the trick for a company to do that then is, you know, how do you how do you scale personalization? How do you scale delight? Um, and in the customer experience world, I think that's like the million dollar question, right? Absolutely, absolutely. Well, and we'll get to that as we dive into some of the product stuff you're working on. Um, can you tell me a little bit about? why ultimately you decided to transition out of food and service? Uh, yeah, food and service is, it's a tough business. When you have, when your nuclear family and friends are also not in the restaurant industry, you're ultimately working on different schedules. Sure. Um, and then as a young 20 something year old, your social life is also very important. But then I also had this background that I felt I could go into um, and then if the passion was still there and a few decades from now is always something that I could revisit going back into the food industry it's still there so maybe one day you'll see me around Indianapolis but keep an eye out yeah chef win chef win I like it cool so talk to me about from there was that when you kind of got an intro into interactive intelligence I did how did you connect with that company 2005 so Interactive intelligence at the time was growing so rapidly. Um, 
they were founded in 1994, became public in 1999. And when I joined the company in 2005, they were uh, a company of about 600 people max globally. Based in Indianapolis. Based here in Indianapolis, headquartered here. Um, and then by the time they exited and merged with Genesis at the end of 2016, you know, we were uh, 1,800. Wow. That's some serious growth. That's really good growth, yeah. Can so, you talk to me a little bit about what the product was when you joined in 2005? In 2005, we had, we had one product, and it was called CIC, and it was a communications platform that provided um, voice and digital communications for contact centers primarily. We had some enterprise capabilities as well, but we fo mainly focused on the contact center space. And was it hard for you to transition from non-tech uh, food, food and uh, service industry with a computer science degree to then go into uh, a tech company? Uh, no, not at all. You know, I, I came in in the, the services and support engineering organization, and, and my job was to solve problems, right? Yeah. Solve customer problems. And I've always been someone who, you know, would take a problem, run with it all the way through, and even, like, look for problems that... Um, you know, may have existed, but wasn't really, you know, necessarily at the forefront of people's minds just to solve it, because I just like to solve things. So uh, that was a really great organization for me. Um, and they also put me in a position where I was able to build a global team and kind of build a business practice around, specifically around business intelligence development and engineering and support. And so having that, that restaurant background of, okay, look, I know I need to take care of my customers, I need to build a business that's, that's scalable and optimized. It, you know, a lot of pieces fit together along with my educational background. Yeah, absolutely. Well, when you talk about kind of that, that uh, role in services and support, it sounds like problem solving is a really key skill set to have. What are some of the other skill sets that now, you know, working on the team at Genesis, you really value and, and think really set someone apart when they're in the services or in the support side of the business? Uh, you get to know so many of the problems that your customers are facing. So you have this real world experience of kind of all the pains that they have, not just with like the actual product itself or the feature or capability that they're trying to use, but the business problems that they're trying to solve. Because I was coming in from um, a, a BI standpoint where they're trying to take all this data that's being collected, not just by the systems that we're generating, uh, the, the systems um, that they were using uh, from, from interactive intelligence, but they were trying to combine it with all the other data uh, systems from the enterprise to create like a holistic story about what was happening with their customers. Hmm. And so I got to learn a lot about these business problems and these business challenges and then help walk these customers through um, the technical problems, the transformations that they needed to do on their business end in order to really make sense or to have even a cohesive business plan to then leverage the technology in the best way possible. Yeah. So being in the, in the forefront um, and then also having to groom all these new team members and new engineers and build this practice really gave me a good perspective about you know how do you, how do you bring people along? Because I think that's one of the big challenges that we have in 
really everywhere is how do you help people go through a transformation? When they know that there's a North Star, the biggest challenge is what are those right like stepping blocks and those right milestones and how do you And, and are you talking about along? for your team or for your customers? For both. Both, yeah. Both. How do you really kind of stair-step them to mm -hmm. get to this new world? Mm -hmm. That maybe if you didn't stair-step into it and just made a big shift, it might be jarring as opposed to kind of Jarring or complete failure? I mean, you could take a, you could take like a simple example of, um, you know, maybe a purchasing a particular piece of software for your company. Yeah. And how many times have people purchased a piece of software and then it just doesn't work for them because they think they can just drop it in mm -hmm. with like no plan of adoption and no phased way of getting there and then it just, it just sits there and collects dust. Yeah. I know there's a lot of software companies now trying to work on that meta problem of how do you get people to adopt the software? Mm -hmm. uh, which is is a fascinating. Uh, it's fascinating that that's where we are now, right? Like that there's software for adopting software, the <laughs> software for choosing this what software is right for you. Um, yeah, it's the yeah. The, the age old uh, or, or time the oldest time now uh, quote of software is eating the world, right? Mm -hmm. uh, definitely happening. Um, something you said sparked a thought which was in your when you're in that support and services role uh, your job as I understand it is usually to solve whatever the, your primary job is to solve whatever problem the customer is having having but I would imagine a lot of time times the feedback that you're getting isn't just like hey I want to get this thing done that your software does a lot of times it's probably hey I want to get this thing done done that your software or your product doesn't currently do how do you create organizationally a, a structure where all, these people on the front lines in support and services can help fuel the further innovation of the company and, and direct the product roadmap? Yeah, so we, at, at Genesis, and, and we implemented this back at Interactive as well, is we have recurring internal stakeholder meetings uh, that happen every six weeks with various departments. So. I'll have a six-week meeting with support and services. I'll have a six-week meeting with um, sales and our advisors and our customer success teams. And it's an open feedback loop as to what they're seeing on the front lines. And we do ask them to do work ahead. It's, um, mm. it's not a free-for-all conversation. It's come to us with your, you know, your top five things and talk to us about like why that's important for your customers what the value proposition is, the value to them, the value to Genesis. Why does it? Why is it so painful for you so that we can better understand it? How do you then, from there, how do you then take, you know, this department says these five things are important, but this department says these five things are important. Maybe there's only overlap on one or two of them. Yeah. Uh, how do you, how do you systematically, and what, you don't have to give, you know, the secret sauce away so to speak, but like how organizationally do you look at um, deciding like, is this more important than that? I think you have, number one is you have to be very clear as to what your strategy is. What principles and objectives do you want to align your product strategy towards? And so you first take a look and say, okay, are these requests even aligned to where I, I want to go? Mm. Um, and then, if not, then you, you know, on a case by case basis, you might you might evaluate something just to be able to delight a handful of, of 
customers, especially if they're quick wins and they're low effort to do. Um, hmm. Otherwise, you know, once you have your guiding principles, then you can start to evaluate the cost versus you know the ROI and then total alignment. Like, will this incrementally move me in the direction that I, I want to go, and and how far? Um, it's not a hard science, you know. But yeah. There's there's at least um, there's at least a framework that we follow to like score and really try to objectively evaluate everything that comes in as much as possible. Okay. And how do you how do you get that buy-in from those individual teams, right? Where maybe they're not really being scored on how well the product is developing, they're being scored on how well the customer is being served. How do you incentivize those teams? Um, and maybe it's not just incentivized, but like, how do you make them feel it? Make that make them feel that same urgency around the product, so that everyone on the team, uh, not just the product team, really cares. It's about culture. Yeah, it comes down to culture, sure. especially now that you're in this this cloud, the service world. Your product is not actually just the technology, right? Your product is um, includes how well people get service, you know, their experience with your customer service rep, their experience with professional services, their experience through the entire sales process, and then it's a product, and it's almost like the product is um, the least important hmm. part of that e equation. Uh, so you have to transform as a company to really believe that, like the end-to-end -end engagement that we have and touch points with the customer that we have is really the product. Yeah, that makes sense. I mean, I, I fully believe that. Uh, I would imagine sometimes it's hard to get everyone rowing in the same direction, uh, especially when your organization gets bigger than, I mean, right now, my, my team is not 1,600 people, I can tell you that. Uh, and even then, sometimes it's hard to make sure everyone is, sees where the product vision is going and understands how, to, how, they, how what they're doing makes an impact. Yeah. Um, so it's, I appreciate some of that feedback. So t take me back to the services and support role. Uh, you're at Interactive Intelligence. It's 2005, 2006. How did, um, how did that role evolve, and what was kind of your next step in your career? Yeah, so I, I was in that organization for, for quite some time. I had built this, this global practice. and Did you, have, did you have one like, particularly challenging experience when you were in that role? Oh, I've probably suppressed it. it <laughs> there's probably <laughs> enough trauma there that I, it's, I'm not going to be able to recall it. But, oh, fair enough. You know, when you're in the front lines, you, you do walk into some pretty, pretty hairy situations. Well, and I don't necessarily need details uh, <laughs> of that, but uh, is there an example that maybe you could share that, you know, for the people who are going to run into this sort of situation in the future, let's say you've got just a, a customer that is irate. Um, so angry beyond being able to talk logically. Um, I, luckily, we haven't had any of those at Powder Keg, but I've certainly seen it like at a restaurant or something when someone's like, you know, send this back and I want to, you know, you see that person in the restaurant, and you're like, oh my gosh. <laughs> well, in those situations when someone is just completely irate, you know, their emotions are totally taking over their logical functions. So you can't talk logic with them. All you have to do is kind of react emotionally and, and just apologize. But, but maybe a tip that I will give is, um, you know, in the service industry, a customer's gonna come with you with 
a, a problem that they're trying to describe, and, and oftentimes a solution that they think they need for that particular problem. Hmm. And it's important for you to step outside of what they're actually telling you and, and look at the total landscape, because you may be able to solve the problem in a different way, in a mm. different capacity than what the customer themselves are asking for. And so while that particular feature or functionality doesn't exist in the product itself, if they changed maybe one way in which they like entered into the problem or something in their environment or use the product in a completely different way, their business problem as a whole is solved. Yeah. Yeah. Even though they they're they don't have that one little button that they want to tweak to be able to do this one little thing. So you kind of have to like step outside and sort of sort of observe the situation as a whole. Yeah. And know what kind of tools you have at your disposal in your role at whether it's in service or as a product. Exactly. Yeah, that's good feedback. Uh, that's really good feedback. Rather than it's a yes, no on their suggested mm -hmm. fix. That's right. Yeah, that's great. Um, I'm sure you have a lot more tips like that. So feel free to pepper those in as they, as they come back to sure. you. I'm not trying to make you uh, recall repressed memories here. <laughs> but um, talk to me a little bit about where you went from the services um, and support side of things. And uh, if there was a why behind that or if it was all kind of happenstance. As, as some careers tend to go. Yeah, I was blessed with um, a, a lot of great career opportunities within the company, and I, I ended up moving into product management just for a handful of years because I had built this practice and really understood the customer base, and we were, we were building solutions. So that was a natural fit for me. And then after product management, I, I went into this role called business operations, and this was at the height of when we were transforming into a cloud company. Oh, wow. Uh, and the role was there to really support all the, the services and the cloud operations for the cloud business. So I had a team of uh, a, a team of PMOs and business analysts and financial support analysts and even an R&D team to build tools and operation, operational processes for um, the, the cloud business. And that was a role that I was totally unqualified for <laughs> why, why do you say that? Uh, because it was, it was a role that required me to really step up in terms of my, my own leadership. Uh, you know, I was starting to manage folks who were way more, way higher in seniority than I was, starting to manage folks who were significantly smarter than I was, right, knew the business inside out, um, and it was a very critical role because it was a function that uh, was meant to drive growth as well as optimize the business. Yeah. Um, but I was, I was fortunate to have a leader that really believed in my potential and go ahead and put me there. So I think that was probably the most, most transformative role that I had at uh, Interactive Genesis. How did you feel when you first heard about this opportunity? Maybe, maybe when your mentor approached you with it, what was your initial reaction? Holy crap, let's do this. You were all for it. Yeah. That's yeah. great. No looking back. No looking back. I am. Um... You had already gone into the food and service industry. You had already gone from playing classical music to computer science. Yeah. So you knew how to kind of jump into a new Kind of, I think, but that's that's my disposition. You know, I I'm I'm afraid of a lot of things, <laughs> but um, 
my way of getting over fear because logically, logically, I know that fear is, is illogical. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. And so there's very little that you can do to talk yourself out of being scared. You're just going to be scared. So if others have done it before you, you can too. So just go do it. I love that. That's good advice. Talk to me a little bit about how you jumped into a role. I mean, when you when you take a role, I've I've been there too. I've been in a role that I had no business being in, and and that feeling of sort of okay, I've got a learning gap here. I've got a skills gap, and I've got a lot to learn. How did you spend your first few weeks in that new role? You you interview you interview your your people about. You know what's really going great in an organization what needs to be improved because your role as a leader is not to be the subject matter expert your role at least my viewpoint is is my role as a leader is to support the organization and um, you know help my people overcome obstacles like really truly being that servant leader and yes do I need to know enough to make sure that you know they are making the right decisions and to guide them when they are stuck, of course. Sure. But you can always learn. So step number one is to understand challenges of the organization, challenges of the people, what they're trying to achieve, what their goals are. Mm-hmm. And then you can start to formulate the plan of, all right, what is it that I need um, to learn if, I, if there is anything? And then those steps of how do I support my people as a human being? Yeah. No Absolutely. Way. Absolutely. And when, when you're building that kind of rapport with the team, um, did, you, did you ever have any missteps along the way when you're kind of figuring out that next level of leadership that you learned, that you learned from? Sure. Yeah. I think, I think managing people is maybe the hardest job because every person is so different. As much as we'd like to say, you know, everyone's the same, they're not, right? We all we all come from different backgrounds, different perspectives. We all have different triggers, um, and understanding those triggers was the hardest part, and then knowing how to to navigate around them because we worked in a very stressful environment. Um, so you, you you had to know. You had to have some firm beliefs around, you know, what is what is good work ethic. You know, what, what culture do I value, okay? Number one is like, what culture do I value in my team? Um, and then really believe in that and start to evaluate, okay, are these people the right fit? Um, you know, are they being triggered in a way that, um, you know, we, we, can, we, can, we can fix, we can soften up so that they can conform to the culture? And then if not, make the decision to um, find them a, a new home important so yeah so number one was like trying to make sure that the culture was right yeah absolutely when you're when you're looking at creating that culture I know at Genesis it's a very customer centric culture Mm -hmm. what are some of the ways that leadership can influence the customer experience Um, take you know aside from the fact that you're the product leader and that has a huge impact on the customer experience what are some of the other ways that that leadership can impact the customer experience. Mm. Leadership, by example, if you're if you see your leader 
like genuinely truly caring about the end customer you know actively engaging with the customer base then your people will follow and I've, I've seen too many I've seen too many you know managers and and, and organizations where you know the leader isn't really in touch with the customers themselves they leave it to like other people in the business and and what happens there is that other leaders start to then adopt it because it's it's easy to not engage with customers. Like if you engage with customers, you're probably walking into a problem, sure. <laughs> right? Because customers so, always have problems. Customers always solved. have problems, but this is why we're in business because we're here to solve problems for customers. Right. Uh, so it's it's funny, but you know, it's it's an easy way out is to kind of like step back and then start to push the customer service or the customer facing responsibilities or the customer management like down into the organization and yeah. it doesn't it doesn't go well when that happens it's more bottom bottom up yeah. lead by example mm -hmm. do you have any examples um, from your time at Genesis or even in other roles um, where you saw a leader exhibit uh, something that was very customer centric that you thought wow that's yeah, um, my boss. Not that. Not that I'm sucking up to my boss right <laughs> I now. I asked the question. I asked the uh, question. But you know, my leader is a, a really good example of someone who leads by example and is really you know customer centric. He, he, he listens really well. He follows up really well, which is. Hard and it's a rare trait for someone that senior mm. to, you know, come back to the customer in a very personalized way and say, you know, thank you for your time. I hear all the problems that I've understood from you, and here are the actions that my organization is going to take. Wow. Yeah. That says a lot. It does. That's impressive. It really is. <laughs> very so cool. he set a high bar for us. Yeah, that's good. That's it's always good to have a high bar as a team. Mm -hmm. um, Talk to me a little bit, little bit about um, what you're seeing now uh, in your new product role, or not new product role, but the product, the role that you're in now is VP of product. Yes. Um, it is a transition from that operations director of operations role. What's different about what you're doing today than what you've done in the past, and maybe what's what's very similar and familiar? Yeah. So um, now I lead. Uh, one of three portfolios within Genesis, um, and it, right now it's the portfolio that generates the largest cloud uh, revenue for us. And I, I will say there's a, there's a lot of similarities between business operations and, and product management. Like you're always thinking about how do I how do I spend my resources and my budget wisely in order to move the business ahead. You have to think about your product as a business yeah. first. Yeah, absolutely. Okay? And then, um, and then, maybe what's different is that it is a little bit more product centric. So now I get to geek out on the technologies, like really cool things like AI and digital tech, to bring it into the the uh, portfolio stack. Um, but the underlying theme of it all is delivering really great customer experiences through our services and through our products, which has, has always been part of you know, my life. Yeah. When you look at all the roles that, are, that I've had. It's like you've been training for this your whole life. That's right. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> well, t talk to me a little bit about the innovation that you're seeing in CX right now. 
What are some of the cool new technologies, products even, that are out there? What are you most excited about? And then maybe what are you most terrified by? Oh, they're probably one and the same. So, so maybe, maybe we should take a step back. So, you know, customer experience is this broad topic. Yeah, help me with that definition because there's CX, there's UX, there, I mean, there's a lot of different facets. How do you define CX? Yeah, so customer experience, CX, I would define it maybe in the most simplistic form is every single touch point and engagement point that your company has or your brand has with a customer, regardless if that customer is an existing customer or a net new customer. Okay. And then UX is definitely a component of that as well. Um, but there, there's probably three categories of UX within CX. So the first one being a single interaction. So what is the experience like when I'm paying a bill on my mobile app? Yeah. Okay. The second one being the whole customer journey, which is what a lot of people attribute CX to, which mm -hmm. is understanding the before and the after of that single event. So the entire process of which a customer goes through in order to achieve a goal over an extended timeline. Okay. And then uh, the last one is relationship experience. So that single interaction, the culmination or the combination of those journeys, plus you know marketing and everything else that your your company is doing, and so you apply like UX into each one of those, but they all roll up and and contribute to your overall CX brand that you're delivering. So their their perception of interacting mm -hmm. with your company, pretty much it. A product. Yeah, that's great. That's a helpful definition. Uh huh. I like that definition. Okay. Good. Yeah. Good, and so that's a really broad landscape. And so, sure. <laughs> you know, for Genesis, we're we're really focused on the communications aspect of it, the, the connection aspect of it, both the reactive and the proactive communications. So, you know, how do we enable businesses like yourselves to um, reach customers and, res and and connect with customers at the right time, in the right way? the right people with the right context yeah absolutely yeah just just that little thing just just that so, <laughs> so just that little problem so then that segues into like okay what do we actually what do we actually build right and, yeah and, and you know when I talk about uh, connections on communications the most obvious thing that comes to mind are channels like can I make a place a phone call can I connect with you over email or text or um, can I communicate with you through social media or messaging apps? And then it goes into, am I getting connected with the right person who can help me, who's skilled, right? So we can start to route those interactions um, to the right person. But in order to do that, you also have to have the right context about the customer. So what we try to do is just kind of solve that whole problem of, can we, with one solution, give you all those capabilities to create those connected moments? Mm -hmm. um, a lot of companies today try to do it with multiple vendors, multiple systems, you know, the data management, 
gets to be a nightmare because ultimately, in order to have the right contacts, you're probably pulling data from like different systems, right? And right. The customer. Absolutely. As opposed to everything's in one database, mm -hmm. is getting connected to one uh, contact or one yeah. user, and you can actually attribute everything and and do the analysis effectively and track everything back. Yeah, and and really understand like what your customer is doing, uh, and then what your agents are doing, and are you delivering the right experience and, and outcome? And that's, that's a really hard problem. And so we're trying to solve that for the customer, and we're bringing a lot of um, not only digital technologies in for the communications piece, but uh, artificial intelligence practices in. Yeah. Well, and I, I, know, I know one of the things that's changed, um, I, I remember when it was such a big deal of like, well, this company actually responds on social media and these companies aren't responding on social media. Mm -hmm. And that big adoption that happened maybe a decade ago in 2009, I imagine there's something similar happening now even with AI and chatbots and that whole world of how are you using the latest tools. I guess this is an ongoing. How are you using the latest tools and technologies to be responsive but in a way that still feels human um, uh -huh. and not icky. Yeah, and doesn't that all sound a little bit daunting? I mean, how does... How More do than I, a little bit. <laughs> More than a little bit It's daunting. like, which channels do I use? Like, should I be on social media? Should I be on, you know, WhatsApp? Like, do I need to be communicating? Is text message the right way to communicate? Or is email better? It's really hard for businesses to really know without a lot of trial and error and a lot of significant investment. And, and I think that's, that's where... AI comes in, um, you know, we, we have the principle of one, like let's, let's make adoption of channels really easy for our customers so they can communicate across all these channels. But then let's bring AI in to make those difficult decision points easy. Mm. Um, and then also to help scale the business. Now, with all these channels that we just talked about and means of communication, it means your business is probably going to see a large increase in interactions, right? Or already being bombarded with, with communications that you have to respond to. And the solution isn't necessarily to hire more bodies. Right. Um, but at the same sense, you know, while you can introduce AI like chatbots and voice bots, um, which we have been, you don't want AI to replace humans either. Right. Yet. I don't think ever. I know. I don't. I'm saying. I, I, I'm saying that. I'm, <laughs> I'm. I'm more just giving you a hard time. Yeah. No. But maybe that goes back to the thing you're most excited about and most terrified by. Exactly. <laughs> the most exciting and the most um, frightening is is AI. Um, but I. Yeah. I, no. I truly believe that AI will never fully replace humans. Um, AI is great. You know, use a bot for. Um, kind of low sensitivity, low value transactional types of, of, of tasks. There's not a lot of value for me to talk to you or rep just to get um, the balance on my account. Right. Right. But there's high value for me to talk to a human being when I think there's fraud on my account. Right. When I'm like emotionally invested in a situation and the situation is complicated, last thing I want to do is to talk to a bot. Yeah. Right? 
Yeah, or one of those automated voice messages that is like 30 seconds before they give you the options. Exactly, <laughs> exactly. And so when we're talking about like customer experience, I think it's important for customers and businesses who are thinking about bringing in AI is that customer experience is, is about connection, human connection, and a robot is never going to be able to establish that level of connection, empathy, trust that a human being can. And I don't think that they ever will be able to. Yeah. It, it occurs to me that, uh, you know, being here in Indianapolis where Genesis is headquartered, um, and I might be a little bit biased being based here in Indianapolis as well, but it does seem like one of the, it, it's sort of like in the ethos of the heartland and of the Midwest to kind of be customer centric, to be this kind of like, I, I mean, your family members are like always like super hosts and like friends are, are always like, are you okay? Like, are you hungry? Are you thirsty? Yeah. It, it's sort of like above and beyond uh, nice. It's a little bit of like the Midwest nice. Mm -hmm. um, do you, have you seen some benefits of having uh, a business uh, or at least one of your offices here in the Midwest as opposed to on the coast? And maybe it's not just because people are nice, but. Well, I, I think, <laughs> I think, you know, the, the Midwest genetics of being nice is really, uh, valuable for the company um, you see people here at least at least in the Indianapolis office um, you know we've got this this strong mentality and culture of you know we just want to do what's right for our customers and for our people so mm -hmm. even if it's not within my job responsibility um, and it's not something that we've ever done before but I know it's the right thing to do we're gonna go do it that's important. Yeah. I, I, I bet, uh, bet that has a lot to do with the growth over time of that customer base and the loyalty, too. It does. That's cool. Well, what are you, uh, what's next? What are you most excited about right now that you can talk about? Oh, gosh, we've got some really cool stuff that's happening on the, on the product front. Um, you know, we, a, a couple... Has it been a couple of years? Maybe it's only been a year. We, we had acquired this company called AltaCloud that has extended our ability to um, understand the customer journey even before uh, a customer calls into the contact center, which, as I mentioned, was kind of like a core bread and butter, and what we had focused on was the contact center piece. Um, so that allows us to uh, have so much data on you know what a customer is doing on a website, their propensity to buy, the propensity to um, engage in a certain um, process or, or outcome, and it really rounds out our story. And then we've we've made significant investments in artificial intelligence too. That um, you know is is setting ourselves up to really do some incredible things of like helping our customers scale with with all the changes that are happening, the scale with the, the volume of interactions that are coming in, um, to make all these difficult concepts really easy. Because who doesn't want an easy button, Yeah, right? Like, I definitely want an easy I button. I want an easy button. Yeah. Well, the next powder keg event, Genesis is going to be pitching. So yes. you'll learn a lot more about what we're up to and where we're going. On August 13th at Vision Loft in downtown Indianapolis. Or if you're listening to this from outside Indy and you can't make it, or maybe tickets already sold out because it's actually a smaller venue. Uh, you can watch it live on Facebook at facebook.com slash powder keg. So make sure you, you save that. And we'll link that up in the show notes as well. Mimi, thank you so much for sharing your experience. Um, 
growing through the service industry, through the product and technology industry, uh, everything you've learned in your career, it's really inspiring. And I know we're just scratching the surface of it. So we'll have to do a repeat sometime soon. I would really enjoy that. Um, Again, please make sure you check out the show notes and uh, learn a little bit more about uh, Mimi, about Genesis. Um, I hope you walk away feeling inspired and also with some actionable things to bring back to your team. Um, And make sure you follow Genesis at Genesis. That's G-E-N-E-S-Y-S. And to be among the first to hear the stories about entrepreneurs, investors, and other tech leaders outside of Silicon Valley, subscribe to us on iTunes at powderkeg.com slash iTunes. We'll catch you next time on Powder Keg Igniting Startups.